Okay, we're in message number eight in our series right here called Life Coach. The book of 2 Timothy, if you're brand new with us, all four chapters were written by the Apostle Paul. He is in jail in Rome. He's about ready to be executed. But during his whole life, for many years, he has mentored a young man named Timothy, and all of Paul's mentoring advice is in this book. And so today we come to the eighth bit of mentoring advice that Paul gives to Timothy, but to us as well. It's very applicable. And this morning's mentoring advice, or life coach lesson, is summed up in this phrase, be God's approved workman. Now, this is what I'd like you to do right now. I'd like you to just find one person, look at them, and say, you are God's workman or woman. Go for it. You see, in the Bible, in the Bible, one of the metaphors that we're given that, that communicates the way that God sees us is he, he sees us as his workmen. He sees us as his workwoman. And Paul is passing this insight on to Timothy. As a matter of fact, all through the New Testament, I've given you a few verses. Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. You look at Revelation 14.13. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Yes, says the Spirit. They will rest from their labor. One day you're going to rest from your work. And their deeds will follow them. That is, how you have work for the Lord while on earth, watch this, will follow you into heaven. And that's why it's important, Timothy, that you be God's worker. Now, we look at 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. You'll have to read the scripture later. But it is one of the most profound scriptures that describes the workman's moment in their life in the future where their work will be evaluated by God. And you will receive a reward based on the quality of your work. So being a workman, being a workwoman for the Lord is a very important concept. Now, I want you to notice what Paul says to Timothy about this. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and look at the what at verse 15. Paul says this, do your best, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. What does it say? A what? A workman who does not need to be ashamed. Now just stop there. Paul's saying do your best, Timothy, to present yourself to God as an approved workman or as an approved workwoman. And we see in this verse two types of workmen that are described. First of all, there is the approved workman, one who has been tested by the Lord and has been found acceptable. And that word approved, it's the word that was used for testing of metals to see that they would meet a particular standard. Wow. Are we that type of a Christian worker, that we're working in such a way that we meet God's standard and that as he scrutinizes us and looks at our work, he says, you meet my approval. The second type of worker described here is the ashamed workman. Do your best to present yourself to God as an approved workman, one who doesn't need to be ashamed. Wow. And the Bible does talk about that some will stand 
at his appearing in shame before the Lord. How that all works out. I mean, you're saved, you're going to heaven, but it's like your work on earth really didn't pass the test. Really. Like what God was hoping you would be. And, and, and Paul is exhorting Timothy. He's saying, hey, you're God's workman. You can't change that. And he's saying, be God's approved worker. Wow. And what's really cool this morning is that we're going to see that Paul gives us four ways for this to be accomplished. Now, in our lives. Now, here's the thing. Uh, as God's workers, our work is never going to be complete. We're never going to finish the work. It's not like, wow, we finally arrive here on earth. When we get to heaven, the work is complete then. But while we're on earth, we're continuing to work at these areas. I look at my life as I've prepared for this message, and I go, wow, Lord, I got a long way to go in all four of these areas we're going to look at. But you see, Paul knew Timothy's strengths and weaknesses, and the Lord knows our strengths and weaknesses, and, and God is speaking to us this morning, just like God was using Paul to speak to Timothy about these four areas where we always need to be at work at in our lives. Because one day we want to stand before the Lord and have him say, what? Well done, thou good and faithful servant or worker. Okay? All right. Let's take these four one at a time. First trait of an approved workman we see here in verse 14, God's approved workman reminds others about the gospel. So as you're going through life, if you're a person who the best you're able seeks to remind people about the gospel, guess what? You get God's thumbs up. You're like, that's something we need to be at work at all the time. Even when we're like doing our 40 or 50 hour job that's per week, in the midst of that job, we should be looking for opportunities to remind people about the gospel. That's something every Christian is to be working on. Now, look, if you would, at verse 14. Paul says, keep warning them, and these are other people, Timothy, of these things. Now, what are the these things that he's talking about? Well, Paul there is referring what he talked about earlier in verses, really, in verses 8 through 13. Remember that scripture that passage we studied last time is all about the gospel. And verse 8, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. Timothy, keep reminding them that Jesus is risen from the dead. Keep reminding people about the gospel. Question, is that something we're working on? Is that something that's coming out of our lives? This last week, how did it go for you? How did it go for me? Were there moments when we reminded people about the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, and that through faith in him, you can have everlasting life. Paul talked about it in verse 8 of chapter 1. So do not be ashamed to testify, Timothy, about our Lord, or ashamed of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel. Uh, this last Thursday, my day off, there's a couple guys that I get a lot of phone calls from guys who want to golf with me. And uh, there's two guys, one guy's 81, the other guy's 82, both non-Christians. And I'm like, I need to golf with these guys because, I don't know, they may not have much longer. And uh, kind of just a joke for you guys. 
But at the same time, I'm like, hey, they've got lesser and lesser years. And, you know, it's been interesting. I hang out with these guys. They're kind of crusty guys. They're swearing all the time. They know I'm a pastor. But finally, I had the opportunity. I just pray. I just say, Lord, give me the opportunity to share your gospel. This is what my life's about. This is what our life should be about. And so I had the opportunity to share my testimony a little bit. And then one of the guys just kind of said to me, well, whatever makes you happy, Mark. And I go, wait a minute. I go, you're right. This does make me happy, but it's more than that. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is alive. Jesus lives in my life. And guess what? He wants to live in your life too. And they're like, all right, let's move on to the next hole. You know? <laughs> I'm just saying this. We don't always have tr- success where everyone's praying to receive Christ. But as you're going through life, are you at work sharing the gospel with those that you find yourself with. Guess what? That gets God's approval. Because God sent his son to die for everyone, and we should be at work telling people about it. Now, one of the books, I'm always reading books. This is a book that I read just last week called Not Forgotten, This True Story of My Imprisonment in North Korea. This is uh, written by Kenneth Bay, and he uh, was and is, has the record for being the longest-held Uh, prisoner in North Korea uh, for two years uh, since the Korean War. And he was a missionary, and he went to North Korea. He'd just bring groups into North Korea simply to pray for North Korea. That was his ministry. But he got caught out by the government, and uh, he was arrested for that. Now, it's a fascinating book. I'm not going to go into all the reasons why he was arrested, but basically, for them, that's that's breaking the law. But what I want, what was so touching in this book is just how he transitions into being someone who begins to really uh, share the gospel with the guards that he was around. And so there came a breaking moment for his heart that I found to be profound. And let me just read this. Finally, on September 24th, 2013, I got down on my knees. Now, he's in prison. I got on my bed and I prayed, Lord, you know my heart. You know what I want but not my will, but yours be done. You know I want to go home. I mean, he was shocked that he's being held in prison for so long. He thought the government, the United States, would rescue him. And, but he says, I-, I want to go home. You know that, but if you want me to stay, I will stay. I give up my right to go home. I surrender it to you. Peace came over me, and a weight lifted off my shoulders. The moment I stopped praying, God saved me and instead prayed, God used me, I felt free. What about you? It's in our circumstances, I just think no matter what's going on in our life, it's always, God saved me out of this situation. And meanwhile, there are people to our right and left that are going to hell. And, and you see, as God's worker, we need to look around and go, I'm here because Lord used me, even in this hell maybe that I'm in, this situation. Wow. And that was the Apostle Paul. He's in Rome in prison leading people to Christ. And, and he's been an example of how we're called to be at work sharing the gospel. And you see this amazing transformation that takes place in this man's life and a couple other moments, and some of these are even humorous, uh, of just how God begins to use him. He says, I started singing more and more as I worked. Uh, I used hard labor. I found it lifted my spirits and made the time go by much faster. Most days I sang praise songs. One afternoon I got so caught up in worshiping my Lord that a huge smile broke out of my face. 
I was hot, my back ached, my knees were sore, but in my spirit, I was in the presence of God. Finally, one of those guards yelled over at me, hey, 103, that was his assigned name, if you are the prisoner, why do you look like you are enjoying this more than we do? Stop it! (laughs) And then I... You just see this amazing transformation. And then another one. One time a guard asked me, why are you so happy? You're always joking and singing. This isn't supposed to be pleasant experience. What are you talking about, I replied. I've got free room and board here. Usually I have to raise my support in my missionary work, but not now. I even wanted to be a missionary here in North Korea, and now I get to be one. I'm happy to be with you guys. I want to be here with you. Why shouldn't I be happy? And then he says, that answer made them think I was crazy. (laughs) But, you know, then you just see how it didn't make them think he was crazy. They were like, what does this guy have? They were seeing the light in his life. He says, when my faith did not waver, even after being sent to the labor camp for an unprecedented third time, they started to ask, what is it that you have that I don't? How can you sing and be joyful at desperate moments of hopelessness? Where does your hope come from? Then he says this again. It's funny. When all I had, when, when all that I wanted to do was to go home, my conversations with the guards never went deep. However, once I accepted this place as God's will for my life and I started praying, God, use me instead of God, save me, doors opened. As you're going through life, are you saying, God, use me? Are you saying, God, I want to be your worker in this place? Allowing me to share the gospel with my life and with words the best I'm able. That's God's worker. You see, this is what Paul is mentoring Timothy as his life coach in. As you go through life, wherever you're at in life, that's the greatest platform you have to share the gospel. In the, in the joys, but also in the lows, you have an amazing platform. Take advantage of that. Be at work in that. All right. I'd like you to talk about this at your tables. What are some ways that you can better remind others about the gospel? In your situation, how could you enter in to reminding people about the gospel? Talk about that. We are looking at four traits, four traits of God's approved worker. First of all, God's approved worker reminds others about the gospel. Just as you go through life, you're reminding people about the gospel. And if that's what you're working on in your life and that's coming out, you get God's approval. That's awesome. Second is this. God's approved workman warns others about destructive words. Now, all of us know words can be so destructive. I mean, wow. And I'm sure if you, we were to survey this group and I were to ask you, what are some of the most destructive words you've ever heard? Probably all of us. We've had someone you know, share with us words that hurt us deeply. And, and Paul here is warning Timothy about this. And uh, look at verse 14. He says this, Warn them, the them as people in his congregation, Christians, or just people in general, in your own family, warn them before God against quarreling about words, about words. Uh, this is a reference to disputing, arguing, battle over words, concepts, areas of probably false teaching that were destructive. Paul is not talking about dialoguing with Christians to arrive at a better understanding of the truth. Paul is warning about arguing, 
with false teachers, people who are ever learning but never wanting to come to the truth, Paul doesn't tell us exactly what these words, these arguments, these issues were, but he kind of warns us. Uh, as he wrote about the Ephesian church earlier in Acts 20, he said, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock. After I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. This was the, the climate of Ephesus where Timothy was pastoring. You know, there are some people, and sometimes they'll even creep into the church, they just don't care about the truth. Some people just don't even want to arrive at the truth. There are some people who just want to fight. They just want to divide. They want to lead people astray from the truth. They want to lead people astray from Jesus and from the Bible. And they want to lead you away from your marriage. They want to lead you away from your family. They want to lead you away from Christian priorities. And, and Paul's just saying, Timothy, don't, don't argue with these guys. Don't even go near them. Stay away from them. Um, the Bible says in Proverbs 14, 7, stay away from a foolish man, for you will not find knowledge on his lips. You see, it takes work to stay away from people that are antagonistic because sometimes those people are drawn to you. Sometimes the devil uses those people to come after you. And you've got to stay away from them. That's an important thing to be always working at. And why was Timothy called to warn other Christians and himself about arguing about these useless words and getting into these, you know, factions? Verse 14, warn them before God about quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. When you argue purposelessly about just these issues, it can, it's of no value, it has no value, and guess what? It ruins those who are listening. The word ruins, guess what that Greek word is? Catastrophe. Literally. In other words, it creates catastrophe in the spirits and hearts of people who listen when you argue this way, foolishly, divisively. We need to remember our responsibility to those who are listening, especially is this important for us who are parents. We need to remember that our kids are listening. <laughs> you know, I remember when I was a, a, a young, young child, I mean like second, third grade, uh, my mom was not a Christian then. And in our family, they went through a, 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 a period in their marriage where it was divisive, and it was, it was, it was, it was tough. And I remember at night going to bed, hearing them yell and scream and argue, and the catastrophe that it brought to my spirit. Wow, some of you had that same experience growing up. We need, you know, just last week I had someone call me and talk to me. Actually, it was a young person telling me just how he has had to talk to his parents about please stop and to use, to please don't use that language where you're tearing each other down. And it's, it, is break, it was creating catastrophe in his life. Wow. Bible says this, Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. And that needs to be in our own lives, but also in our families. We need to make sure as moms and dads that we're guarding that in the way we speak or we allow our kids or grandkids to speak one to another. And, and this is the thing that we need to always be working at. And guess what? None of us has this down perfectly. We all struggle. Just like we all struggle sharing our faith all the time, 
we struggle with our words, every single one of us. The Bible says the tongue is impossible to tame. You know, it's like a fire. It's destructive. The Bible says life and death are in the power of the tongue. And Paul knew that. This is why he's warning Timothy. It takes work to remind ourselves and others about that destructiveness of words. Only use words that are helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who, wit, who are listening. So if in your life you're seeing you're working on this, you're growing in this area, guess what? This gets God's approval. You're God's approved workman. And that's a great thing to rejoice in. But it's something to be reminded of all the time. It's something we're called to work on. I'd like you to share at your tables. Can you share about a time when you were warned, when you warned yourself or others about the destructiveness of certain words? Go ahead and talk about that. Okay, we're looking at four traits of God's approved worker. God's approved workman reminds others about the gospel. They warn others, including themselves, about the use of destructive words. And then thirdly, God's approved workman handles God's word correctly. Now, if in your life, this is the word of God, God's word, the Bible, you're seeking the best you can to handle this word, the best you're able that gets God's thumbs up. Look at verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, but who handles correctly the word of truth. Give your, do your best. That's give your utmost. Give the very best maximum effort. And then Paul says to present yourself to God as one approved. That is, rather than to present yourself to men for their approval by how you handle God's Word, present yourself to God for His approval on how you read the Bible, how you share the Bible, how you teach the Bible. One of the greatest challenges for those of us who teach God's Word is to teach for God's approval. Paul talks about it in 1 Thessalonians 2.4 in your outlines. We speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. Uh, this is probably one of the greatest temptations for those in the pulpit, to speak to please you rather than God. And we have a lot of churches that just speak to please people rather than the Lord. Who should a pastor prepare his sermons for? Number one, God. Number two, for his own soul. And number three, for you. That's the order. If you have pastors that are preparing God's sermons for you first, for their life second, for God last, you have got, I mean, you know, Lord, may that never be the case for me because one day I'll have to stand before the Lord for every sermon I preach and I've, I've preached thousands. Whew, yeah, it's a heavy deal to be a preacher. You need to pray for me. I pray for you. But we're all called to interpret the Word of God. We're all workmen of God's Word. So how do you get God's approval for how you, know, you handle His Word? And the Bible says uh, you need to correctly handle the Word of truth. Now, that phrase, correctly handle the Word of truth, it's one Greek word, orthotomanta. It's one Greek word, and it literally means to cut it straight. So this is the thing. You want to be God's approved worker when it comes to your relationship with the Bible? 
how you read it, how you teach it. You got to cut it straight. That is a reference to the exactness that's demanded from various trades. I mean, this word is used in a whole bunch of different ways. It's used of a farmer plowing a straight furrow, a craftsman cutting a straight board, a seamstress sewing a straight, you know, seam. For the workman who handles God's word, it's to be cut straight. Precision and accuracy are demanded. And Paul is warning Timothy here. He's saying, Timothy, very important that you correctly handle the Word of God. Uh, And he's warning Timothy against taking a crooked or devious path with interpreting Scripture. An approved workman cuts the Bible straight, gives a clear and true interpretation. Uh, God's workman, when it comes to the Word of God, needs to be meticulous by the way that he or she interprets and explains and applies God's Word. And this command is certainly given specifically for pastors and teachers, but again, all of us are called to handle God's word correctly. The best way to assure yourself and your people that you're handling God's word correctly, in my opinion, is you teach the Bible, you explain the Bible, you read the Bible expositionally, that is verse by verse. It's very hard to mess up interpreting the scripture when you are using the words of scripture in its contexts. I mean, when, when you start picking out a verse here or there, you can say whatever you want it to say, and you can twist it. But let me tell you, if I begin teaching the Word of God verse by verse, if I'm teaching something that's not cutting it straight, you're going to be sitting out there going, that ain't right, Mark. That is not the plain rendering of the Scripture. You're going to be able to see it and sense it. And so it's important that we always take Scripture in the context and use the words in their context to interpret and explain Scripture. Now, one of the Scriptures that has most impacted my life, and I just pass this on to you, I'm just sharing with you a little bit of a window into my soul and how I prepare sermons, how I look at the Word of God, is really here in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. It's on your outlines. But Ezra was a scribe, and this has always been a challenging verse for me, and one that I've tried to model. I don't know if I model it perfectly, but I continue to work on this in my own life. It says this, Ezra had devoted himself to the study, would you take your pen and underline the word study, to the study and observance, then underline observance of the law of the Lord, and to teaching, underline the word teaching, its decrees and laws in Israel. I look at Ezra as a model, someone that I want to be like, and I see three things here. First of all, it says that Ezra studied personal study. Here's my equation, personal study plus personal observation or observance, I should say, equals public preaching. In other words, I want to personally study this Bible and especially a passage that I'm going to be preaching. I want to then watch this, obey it. I want to live it to the best I'm able. And only then am I ready to preach it. Because if I'm preaching something I'm not living, I am the biggest hypocrite. And there are times, beloved, every preacher falls short, you know, and only by God's grace. Forgive me, Lord, please make up the difference, because I'm by far not perfect, and I need the Lord's grace. But in my heart of hearts, um, I, I, there are some passages I'm just like, I'm not ready to preach yet, because I can't live that. And honestly, there's some areas that I avoid, because I'm accountable for what I preach and I teach. Before the Lord one day, 
And how can I exhort you to live something that I'm not at all? I mean, and this though applies to us as parents, as husbands here or called to lead our wives. And here we are giving them God's word and saying this, and yet in our own lives, we're not modeling it. Oh, this, now this is where I come back to saying, this is always, these are four areas where you always need to be at work in. And none of us are ever going to arrive at this, but this is something we continue to work on in our own lives, being a person who cuts God's word correctly. And the workman who receives God's approval, the approved workman, is the one who cuts it straight. This last week, I was having a, a, a conversation with a young man, and, and it was very interesting where the conversation went. And basically, it was leading up to the point where I said, wow, so you're telling me you believe the Bible and you believe that you know what God's calling you to do, that this is the right thing you need to do, but then you're also share with me that you don't want to do it. And what he was revealing is our human condition. All of us want to live our life as a zigzag in relation to the straight cuts of God's word. Are you following me? He was not sharing something that I was not aware of in my own life. But the Bible is saying this, the goal for the workman is to cut the word of God straight in a righteous, straight path. That's what righteousness means, straight. And our issue is we like to live this way. Sometimes we don't like what the Bible says, right? We don't like that. We avoid that. We don't want to think about that. We don't want to cut the Bible straight. We don't want to live our life in parallel to Scripture. We see the Bible as this, but we're like, eh. That's the human condition. And guess what? We just have to fight against that and be God's workman that says, no, when I read the Bible, you have that experience. You have your quiet time. You're reading along going, oh, that's a great Scripture for my wife. You're just going zigzagging right there. You're reading this, you go, oh, man, if my boss was here, if my boss was here, why isn't he having his quiet time? You know what I'm, we're all zigzagging. That's just the human condition. This is all of us, and I put myself there as well. I'm just saying, God's saying, Tim, Paul is mentoring Timothy, saying, hey, I'm your life coach. I'm giving you a timeless truth. Guess what? You need to be a worker. You need to cut the Bible straight, Timothy, for your own life. Live it, and then teach it to your people. Then be a husband with that in mind. We need God's grace for that. Amen? Let's talk about this at our tables. What has helped you handle God's Word correctly? What has helped you? You're growing in this area in your life to cut it straight. Well, what has helped you? Talk about that. Okay, we are looking at four traits that as God's workmen or God's workwoman, we're constantly working on in our lives. We're constantly reminding others about the gospel. We're warning ourselves and others about, you know, destructive words. We're constantly needing to remind ourselves to cut the Bible straight. These are things we work on because we're God's workmen or workwoman. The fourth is God's approved workman avoids the corrupting influences of false teaching. So if you're staying clear of or when you hear false teaching, you stay away from it, uh, you receive God's approval, you get God's thumbs up. Let's go into this deeper, though. Let's really see and unpack what Paul's talking about. Look at you at verse 16. He says, avoid godless chatter. 
worthwhile. Now, avoid means to shun yourself from, to distance yourself from, and godless chatter, that's an interesting phrase. It means empty sounds or profane babblings. And what was the godless chatter Paul's talking about? Really, this context seems to point to false teaching of any type. Godless, worldly philosophy, teaching of any sort. And 1 Timothy 6.20, you know, Paul talked about this to Timothy earlier. He said, Timothy, turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. Turn away from that. Now, what is the primary source of false teaching today? What do you think it is? It's the media. It is. I mean, back then they didn't have the media. But today, watch this, the average adult watches five hours of television every single day. The media is not controlled by the Lord, the most of it, maybe 99.9% of it. <laughs> uh, the best way to deal with false teaching is avoid it, stay away from it, or at least be discerning. Cut it straight when you do watch TV. I'm not an advocate that says no TV, but I am saying what Paul's saying, cut it straight. Be discerning. And if it's really incriminating and something that's corrupting, turn it off. Now, Paul gives us three reasons why we should avoid, you know, false messages, in other words. He says, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it, I mean, if you indulge in this body of knowledge that's coming in, it will become more and more God, un ungodly. You'll become more and more ungodly. Number one, it leads to more ungodliness. Wow, something to think about. Another reason to avoid these false messages is false teaching will spread like gangrene. What an image. They're teaching these messages will spread like gangrene, Paul says. Gangrene is a, is a disease where bacteria enters a wound or injury, and then it destroys that area of flesh very rapidly. If a false teacher is allowed to teach, and we accept that, that corrupting influence will come in, that doctrine will spread rapidly, contaminating, causing damage really to the whole body. But for us, our family, our marriage, our church, if that is allowed, and then Paul, he gives us two examples of false teachers in verse 17 and 18. He says, uh, their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Phileas, who have wandered away from the truth. So they're not, you know, sticking to the Bible. They say that, and here is their teaching, part of it anyway, they say that the resurrection has already taken place. And they are destroying the faith of some. They taught that the resurrection was the thing of the past. Evidently, most scholars believe that they taught that the resurrection only happens spiritually, not physically. They denied Christ's resurrection, and they denied that believers would physically resurrect as well, and that created all sorts of consternation. Well, what happens when we die? Well, you just, you know, and they had all sorts of confusion there, not knowing what the Bible teaches, that we would resurrect physically one day. And the last thing about false teaching and these destructive messages when we entertain them is they can be very destructive. And that's what verse 18, it, it says there. It says, um, they destroy the faith of some. False teaching can't destroy someone's salvation, but it can really mess with their faith. 
it can really create consternation for someone's faith. And I've seen this to be the case with so many young believers who get taken in by some false doctrine or false teaching or worldly way, and they drift from the Lord. And I pray they're still saved, and I pray that one day, I'm not saying, I'm not praying they're still saved, because once you're saved, you can't lose your salvation. But guess what? You can go down a road where, man, you are really confused, and you go through a lot of heartache, and I pray that that person will return to the Lord. Paul ends this section with a very powerful reminder for us and how we're to live in light of this uh, false teaching. He says there in verse 19, he says, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. God's solid foundation is the church. This church, the church of Jesus Christ, stands firm in the midst of all this. Sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are His. The Lord knows those who are truly believers. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. That's a way of saying, if you know Christ, turn away from false teaching. These false messages, this worldly corruption that seeks to come at us in all sorts of different ways. Whether the media, whether music, whether friends who don't know Christ that are just you know, leading you astray. Wow, Paul's saying, Timothy, this is something you have to work at. Because you live in a world that's corrupted, and, and so many want to take you away from the truth. By the way, what's the best way to protect yourself from false messages? Expose yourself to the truth, and that way when you hear a false message, you'll know what it is. How do bank, banks teach their tellers to identify counterfeit money? They expose them again and again to true currency, and then... When false currency, when a counterfeit comes across their path, they feel it in a second, and they know it's false, and they can discard it. And so if you're a Christian, you want to know how you deal with all these messages out there that might be trying to lead you astray? If, you're, if you read your Bible daily, if you come to Three Crosses Church, if you come to Home Builders, and you're getting the truth poured into your life, you're going to know what the false message is that you're called to reject. And guess what? This is an area we grow in. This is an area we work on. Shunning false teaching, keeping it away from our families, our marriages, uh, our church family, our own life personally. It's an area of growth. I'd like you to talk about this. Have there been times you have had to avoid, I mean, really purposefully avoid the corrupting influences of false teaching or false messages? How do you go about that? Would you talk about that a little bit at your tables? Okay. Message number eight, we are God's workmen. And Paul is just simply exhorting us our lesson today from our life coach. Hey, be God's approved worker. Receive that approval from the Lord. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And these are four areas that all of us will continually work on for the rest of our lives. But this is what it means to be God's worker in these areas. You know, I was reading in my quiet time from Psalm 33, these words, uh, verse 11 and 12, or 13 and 14. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. God looks down and he sees all. That means he sees you. You know how God sees you right now? He sees you as his worker. 
He sees you as his workman. I don't know if you go through life, if I were to ask you, who do you work for? I think we would initially go to our, our boss or wherever. If we're, how many of you are employed right now? Okay. How many of you are retired? Yeah. Want to be, want to be. But here's the thing. We're never going to retire from being God's worker, right? And we've got to start seeing ourselves not as working for Macy's or whatever, but we are working for the Lord. And we want to receive His approval. And there's four traits. It's very interesting. I look at these areas, I go, wow, Lord, it's very interesting that, that under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, you inspired Scripture and the Apostle Paul to exhort Timothy to work hard in these four areas. I don't know if I would have chosen these areas. I'm not God, but I just preach the Bible as it is. And the Lord's just saying, hey, God looks at you and he goes, you are my workman, you are my workwoman. And the Lord takes such great pleasure in you. And he is just encouraging you to continue, remind people about the gospel as you go through life. Warn yourself and others about destructive words. Don't create catastrophe. Handle God's word correctly. Slice it straight for your own life as well as others. Avoid the corrupting influences of this world. Don't allow that message to seep into your life. Allow the word of God cut straight to lead you. I mean, those are four powerful things, you know, to work at. And it takes work. And work is not necessarily easy, is it? It was so interesting, I saw Steve Cavallaro walk in the back door about 15 minutes ago while I'm preaching, and then during the break, I went over and got Helen, and I said, please have Steve come back here because I want to tell a story about him in the end. I wasn't planning on telling this story this morning. Aren't you excited to hear what it's going to be about? I graduated from Castro Valley High in 1980. Steve, when did you graduate? 1976. Yeah! So... Have you ever had dreams about your old high school? I did. I had a dream. I'm walking down the hallway, coming to my locker, and I'm like, where's my locker at? You ever had that? Where's my locker? And what's the combination again? And all that. And all of a sudden I go, oh, this is so nice. Because didn't, they didn't do this back then, but my name was on my locker. I was like, that's so helpful. But in addition, it was just not my name. It had Steve Cavallaro. I'm like, what up, Steve Cavallaro? And we have the same locker. I'm like, that's kind of cool. I open up my locker because I'm in a rush to get to my class. And I notice that all the papers that I need are at the bottom. On, tap, on top of my papers, stacked, are boxes of coins. Coins like pennies and, and just dimes. And I'm like, what up with this? I go, how am I going to get all my papers when they're jammed in with all this money? Like Steve was big time money bags, dude, okay? I don't know. So I'm like, oh, man. I'm like, I'm going to have to go through all this work to get through these papers. So, I mean, I start taking out all the dimes, and then they start falling all over the place in the hallway. I'm like having to pick them up. I'm going, I'm going to be late for class and all this kind of stuff. And I'm having to work and I'm sweating and everything. And guess what? Life sometimes can be a lot of work, right? But then in the end, it's so worth it when you get the paycheck or when you realize that Steve graduated in 1976 and he's not even here, so all this money is mine. <laughs> 
Here's your game changer challenge. What do you think it will be like to hear from God, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Keep on working like you are for the Lord. And just keep growing in these areas. I love you guys. The Lord loves you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for strange dreams. But thank you most of all for the Word of God that just cuts it straight in our lives. And it's so wonderful. Your Word is so encouraging. And it's also at the same time like a scalpel. It kind of like a surgeon. It, It cuts us to bring healing. And we thank you for that. And so, Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, if we know you, we realize deep down within that we do have the honor of serving you, of working for you, that you are our Lord and Savior. And it's an amazing thing uh, that we can do everything we do for your glory and work at it hard. And Lord, I just pray that you would lead us forward into life. None of us will ever arrive in these areas, but Lord, we do want to grow in where we're at in life, to remind others about the gospel, even like we heard about from Kenneth in a North Korean prison who said, uh, you know, ultimately, Lord, don't save me out of here, but help me just to serve you here. So help us, Lord, to realize that any place we're at is an opportunity to share the gospel and to avoid those destructive words, to cut your word correctly, and Lord, to kind of avoid these corrupting influences of the world Lord, let us uh, work at these things for your glory. And then would you grant us the privilege of one day hearing from you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said?